I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo. I'm Alex Del Sordo, and we have we have just Eddie. It's Teddy Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Marie. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Sordo with Rover's Choice, and this is ugh, episode 11, 11, season four, and uh, we're continuing the trend of talking to IRA and NCAA coaches, program coaches, head coaches. And uh, this one, I, I was excited about because I've followed his career for quite some time. He doesn't know who I am. Uh, at least I assume he doesn't know who I am. And uh, it's, it's Greg Hughes of Princeton. But before we get into our interview with Greg, um, I have a fun story. Now, this guy's been around a long time. He has a lot of success. I can't wait to learn all about it. But my first go at Princeton, this is funny. So in 2005, Greg Meyer was my coach at GW. He decided to go to the Princeton chase and we forgot, literally forgot to load all the riggers for all of our boats. So we show up to the Princeton chase. This is my first experience ever at this high level of a race. And Greg is walking around befuddled, furious with his brand new athletes that we forgot our riggers. So I don't even know who the head coach was at the time. He goes up to the head coach at Princeton and says, my guys are a bunch of idiots and I need a boat. And he says, sure, I have the fourth varsity eight boat sitting here that you guys could use. And wouldn't you know it, it's better than any gosh darn boat we had at GW. So my first experience at the Ivy League just shows how different it is to be at that level. We had a very good boat. Uh, we did terribly. I mean, absolutely terribly. We got beat by over two minutes by uh, the best rowers in the country. And that was in 2005. And at that point, I was like, man, I really want to get to that level. That would be awesome. Uh, and I'll never forget it. It was so impactful to me. But today we're going to be talking to Greg Hughes. Now, he's the head coach of Princeton. He's been doing this a very long time. Not to put him on the spot. He's kind of old. Uh, but we're going to be diving into what I believe is one of the most important questions in today's rowing. And that is how do we grow the number of qualified athletes on the men's side, uh, at the junior level and women's level to win at the NCAA level, right? So there's in previous interviews, I've had nine, I've heard nine, maybe 10 athletes, qualified athletes in America every year that could win the IRA. And we want to talk to Greg about how we're going to get that number from 10 to maybe 40. But before we get started, Greg, thanks for being here, man. Well, thank you. I mean, uh, I, <laughs> I appreciate the, uh, the introduction. It's very kind. And uh, I do know who you are. I, I, and I love what you guys are doing. I mean, this is awesome. Like, this is normalizing rowing, yes. uh, which I think is really, really important for us to do as a sport. Uh, the mystique, we've got to get rid of it. Um, and uh, bring rowing into the mainstream and, and you're a huge part of that so thanks for uh thanks for what you're doing and thanks for inviting me on oh criminy now i got you're giving me chills uh greg well look i i want to get to know you though and i think the the general rowing community wants to know you so outside of uh of princeton let's talk about where were you and how old were you when you took that first stroke yeah yeah so um so i grew up uh in rural washington state uh, I grew up on Whidbey Island, which is um, really close to the San Juan Islands out in Puget Sound. Um, and uh, I ended up going to high school um, up on Vancouver Island at Brentwood College School. 
Uh, and that is where I learned how to row. I'd heard about rowing, obviously growing up kind of in the Seattle area and seeing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I, I, I have a vivid memory uh, from uh, my grade school years of watching opening day live on television. They actually televised it back then. What? And just thinking it was just cool to see. And I really wanted to try it. Um, you know, I grew up with boats uh, and so there was a big attraction for me to the sport. Um, I, when I went up to Brentwood, I was super fortunate to have just, you know, I mean, it's an amazing program up there, very small school with a mm-hmm. long history and legacy of rowing and, um, you know, and, and, and coaches matter, right? I mean, we, we all can think back to those people that gave us that spark and I certainly yeah. got it there. Um, you know, with so, some so amazing help me, so coaches. help me out here. Let, let me interrupt you because I'm, I'm trying yeah. to understand this. So, so what, so when, where were you when you took that first stroke exactly? Mm-hmm. So, where, where so were you? I was up at uh Brentwood College, Brentwood um, College. Yep, this yep. is freshman was, year. Like, I, I, I don't, so yeah, Brentwood College yeah. is a, I, it's a I high school, it's a high school, and it's a, it's boarding, a boarding school. school. Okay, yeah, yeah, and and you take the first stroke. This is freshman year. What year is this? So that would have been uh, the fall of 1988. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, an, it was an exciting time. I mean, the, we, the Olympics had just happened uh, when I started rowing and super fortunate. I mean, if you know about the Victoria area at all, Elk Lake, it's like, yeah. it's the, it has been one of the main centers in Canada for rowing. Uh, and a lot of those athletes were coming in and out of our boathouse. Wow. That was, you know, 20, 30 miles away. So as a kid, I saw those, that caliber of athlete, many of those athletes um, actually lived on our campus. Uh, they were either teaching it at the school or they were, their partners were teaching at the school. Uh, so it was an awesome introduction and connection to the sport. So, you know, what, what were your parents doing for a living out on Whidbey Island? Like I, I, I've yeah. heard a couple of people that live out there and it just, it's so foreign to me. It feels like it's another planet. Yeah. yeah well, I mean, it's very different is now than it was back then. Um, so my parents, uh, my parents split when I was really, really young. Oh, uh, they had both grown up in Washington state. My grandparents had grown up in Washington state. My family had been out there since the you know late 1800s. And, um, they uh when when they split my mom just decided i'm i'm moving up to the island and she just that's what she did and uh so i lived up there with her and um my dad uh was living in eastern washington and um i mean it's interesting i mean there's no connection i was the first person in my family to go to college um my dad didn't finish high school in a normal way like ended up with um you know his ged through the military um, and so, it, you know, it, it was, I was doing something completely different, uh, when I started rowing, uh, and, and really for my whole family, like leaving Washington to go to BC, which was 20, 30 miles away from where I was living yeah. was a massive step in my family. Um, and, uh, but I, I think I was super fortunate. I mean, my, my parents are awesome. Like they're both very different, but, um, my dad went on and had, you know, he's had an amazingly successful career, uh, with a couple of businesses that mm-hmm. he did, he, he built from scratch on his own. And I, I think wow. I learned a bit of that warrior mentality through him and my mom just, you know, just 
always incredibly supportive. So why, so that's wonderful. Uh, And I love, I love hearing when someone's is the first person to go to college. Like, I mean, that, that actually changes the direction of your namesake, like forever. Like it, it, it's a cosmic shift. Right. Um, But Mm -hmm. Brentwood, it, I don't, I don't understand how you went there. Right. So it, it seems like, you know, boarding schools, it, they sound what they sound like. Right. So why did you choose that place? Yeah, well, so, um, you know, growing up on Woodby, the school was pretty small. uh, And I did have an interest in trying to, you know, get a different education. Uh, I didn't know anything about the place. It turned out that some people that had a a summer place next door to where I was growing up were from Vancouver. And when I was trying to find schools, they mentioned, hey, there's these boarding schools up there and you should just check it out. It was honestly as simple as that. No idea other than that. We wrote a letter. I mean, it was like those days, (laughs) no internet. So, and a letter came back. They sent, um, uh, uh, you know, the their entrance exam in the mail. I took in the uh, utility closet at my middle school on Whidbey, and that was that. I went up to check it out, basically to see what it was. Fell in love with the place. It reminded me a lot of Whidbey. And um, that was that. Wow. All right. So what, 88 to 91, 92, how much success did you yep. have uh, at Brentwood? Uh, I mean, I, I was pretty fortunate there. I'll be honest. I mean, I, you know, my first year um, had an amazing coach, a guy named Andy Beecham, who was my first real introduction to rowing. Uh, I was an Aussie guy that was basically on walkabout with his wife. Uh, he has since returned, he returned back to Australia, my senior year of high school and has gone on. He's had an amazing career, Geelong grammar, truly influential guy in my life that I still am. I mean, Matt, you chatted with Matt a couple of weeks ago, but Matt was just down in Australia yesterday. He's texted me a photo of him standing with Andy, like one of the most pivotal people in my life. Um, and that year, you know, we raced in the, you know, whatever junior 64 kilogram four at Canadian schoolboys and won that, you know, so I, like, I was able to have an awesome introduction to my career. I was a year, you know, I was the way my birthday hits, I was like a month too old to row with my class. And so when I was in 10th grade, I actually went into the varsity crews, um, made the lightweight varsity that year, uh, won the schoolboys, had an awesome season. I ended up rowing is both a heavyweight and a lightweight my junior year won a national championship had a great season my senior year was in the varsity eight uh, another awesome season so like you know look I was around great athletes um the school had an awesome environment for rowing and an amazing coaches with you know like, like Tony yeah. Carr just legend so yeah no I, I I've heard that name a bunch of times um and I've heard of I've heard of Andy as well I've I've uh I had I had a connection to Australia, and I, I remember that name. I remember hearing a lot about him. Um, so you're, I mean, you're a small guy, though. Like, let's you know, let's be real. Like, you're not you're not a, a monstrous <laughs> dude, right? You're what six foot, right? About. Oh, no, I'm five eight. Um, dude, you're tiny. And, uh, All right, you're so push, you're... When I, pushing it, pushing it. <laughs> I was five eight. Let me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so so I love what I love about rowing is, uh, and I think people can understand this. You don't have to be the biggest guy to win the national championship. If your boat is just connected, right? 
you could be a 640 guy or a 630 guy, but if you jive really well in that eight or that four, a lot of really great things happen. Um, so you start your, it's awesome. You, so your, your, your first years of rowing, you're just winning. You're just winning, winning, winning. But you went to Princeton, right? So that's a huge, now you're talking about, oh, it's weird for you to go 30 miles away from home. Now you're going like 3,000 miles away from home. Why Princeton? Why that time? Like, what was the decision to go there? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's actually interesting. Um, you know, I, I did not know that Princeton was in New Jersey when I was looking at the school and applied. I mean, I, look, I, I didn't know much about uh, things outside of Washington State back then. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there was, a, there was a guy that was uh, living on campus who had gone to Princeton class of uh, 1985 here by the name of Harold Backer, who um, was an Olympian in 92, was rowing on the Canadian Olympic team uh, wow. when I was a senior. And I knew, he knew I was looking at Princeton and we sat down one night and just chatted about it over dinner. And he was this pretty soft-spoken guy. Mm. And the way he described it, I thought, you know, that sounds like that, that's a place for me. Like I, I, when I arrived on campus for the start of my freshman year, I had never been here. I'd never seen it. Um, and, and everybody has experienced driving down, uh, the New Jersey turnpike, uh, yeah. past the Newark airport and all of the like refineries. And I, I, I was convinced I'd made the biggest mistake of my life. When I saw that coming from Washington state, you turn that corner and you start driving down the, the road towards Princeton with no. all the elm trees. And then you go across the bridge and I was like, Oh my God, it's a Mecca, right? It's just amazing. Yes. And, um, so yeah, so that, that's how I found out about it. And, um, how I ended up here, you know, it's just sort of like a, a, a shot in the dark. It's uh, I'll give you, I'll give you a compliment here. It's funny. Um, you know, first one to go to college goes to an Ivy league school, one of the greatest in the world, you know, uh, normally you'd be like, Oh, well his or hers first year in college was, I don't know, some state school, you know, and like, all right, next generation Ivy, like, dude, you went from nothing to Ivy's like, that is a huge jump, man. That's, it's pretty impressive. You know, you obviously had the grades to support it. Um, now you obviously didn't go to Princeton to be a crew coach. So like, what were you actually going to school for? What was the focus? Yeah. I mean, what's interesting is I, uh, I initially had planned to return back to Brentwood, uh, to teach and coach. And I, uh, had a job. I had actually moved in up there after I graduated and, uh, I couldn't get a visa. So I, I basically had a job that I couldn't take. Uh, and they kept trying to help me with the visa. It would not work out. And they just basically said, Hey, look, we gotta, we gotta cut bait here. And I had no job. And so I called back here to Princeton. Joe Murtaugh had been my lightweight coach. Uh, when I rode here, I said, Hey, look, do you know of any, any schools out there that might be looking? He's like, well, I don't know of any of the schools in the area, but we need an intern. Do you want to come back? And so it was, I loaded my car back up and I drove back out. Uh, and I was the, you know, the volunteer assistant in for the 96, 97 season. Um, and that's sort of what got my start. All right. Well, let's, let, let's talk about your career at Princeton. Cause uh, you know, I, I want to get in a little into that and I want to get into your national team experience too. So um, all right. I have said this, I don't even know a hundred times. The best era of rowing is 96 to 06. 
in America, hands fucking down. And you're there in 92 <laughs> to 96, right? So you're there when America is building its presence at the Princeton Training Center, you know, like you're building, you're around who, what I believe are the greatest athletes in rowing, right? At that, at that time. Um, I know that you had a lot of success as a lightweight at Princeton. So talk to me about Murtaugh, talk to me about that experience in those couple years there. You know, I think you had an undefeated season. Um, walk me through that experience and some of the guys that you rode with. Yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I think, um, and this is an example of it, but I, I've always felt like, you know, rowing is the true team sport. Um, it, it, there are no superstars, right? It, like you do need uh, a strong core to build mm -hmm. a fast boat. And uh, I just feel super fortunate to have been here at a time when there were amazing people that were here. Uh, you know, and I think it, like you get the right core and that team, it, it just draws everybody in that right in that direction. You, and you've been a part of it. Like, oh, okay, yeah. like rowing the earth sucks, let's admit it. But when it, when people around you are grinding, you grind. Like, and 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 I that's what I experienced as an athlete here. And I watched it. What was so cool. So yes, I mean, we had uh in my time here, we never lost uh, a regular season race. So four years, I never lost a regular season race. That's insane. Um, one. No, it was amazing. I mean, and I, I think back on that. It's just, it's, it's such a cool thing. Now, okay, lightweight rowing, um, maybe a little bit different. Uh, I'll admit it, having coached both, but still pretty incredible experience. It wasn't me. Right? Like I was, I was certainly, uh, I was enjoying that ride. And there were a lot of huge people that were contributing to that. Outside of our lightweight program, you had, you know, on the heavyweight side, um, you know, you think back on some of those amazing Princeton boats, the, the 95 varsity, um, that was the first Princeton heavyweight varsity to win the Eastern sprints. And then they win it in 97 and they win it in 99 and they win it in 01. It just like, it just, it like things went right. Um, we on the women's side, Dan, and Rook coaching the women, right? And the women winning in 93 and 94, 95, right? Like, it just like, it was such an awesome place to be at that time. And it was, we were all, it was, everybody was feeding off of each other. It was super exciting. It also taught me the value of the whole boathouse. And I think one of the things that you sometimes hear from Princeton folks, you definitely hear it from all of us as coaches, Princeton is one boathouse and uh, it, that it proved it to me. Like we, it wasn't, Hey, we weren't trying to better the women or put up a better record than the women or the, or the heavyweights. We hung out together. My wife was on that heavyweight team, that, that open weight team, but um, right. And, and, and you take a look at, you know, some of my best friends, Chris Aaron's, and his wife, Sherilyn, Sherilyn was in my class here. Right. And, and um, Chris is a really great friend, heavyweight women's team. Right. So you, I, I think that's one of the cool things about this boathouse. And, and, and I think it speaks to the power of rowing. Uh, you see that when things go, they go for a whole team. They go you for think, a whole boathouse. So I, that's a valuable lesson for so many young coaches out there. It's the value of the boathouse. I wrote that down. And I don't know, and I, and I don't know if you can answer this because, okay, it's culture, like boil it down. It's culture, but you need the right coaches 
to cultivate that, allow that to happen. And then that takes a lot of time. It, from you being there and seeing it, like how would you describe how to do that or how to build mm -hmm. that for a young coaching yeah. staff? How, how would you do it? Yeah, I mean, like to rip off from Ted Lasso, be curious, yeah, not it. judgmental, right? Like, yeah. I think that's the biggest thing. And, and one of the things that I think is so awesome about being here, I mean, again, like I, I get to work with Lori every day. Um, she's a fierce competitor. She also, if I have any question, any problem, like she's, she's open. Like I, I can walk in, I can pour it out. Um, and, and, and that's what I learned as a young coach here. Like, like Curtis as my first real boss, yeah. he, A, he gave me so much freedom and liberty. Like I was the freshman coach back then. And he's like, Hey, look, this is your team. You do what you want. Um, there was no like, hey, this, mm -hmm. I expect this. I want guys to do this. I need them to row this way. And it, he could see when I might be just maybe challenged. And he, mm -hmm. he, he took care of me. Like, he had so much more on his plate to deal with, but he took care of me. Um, and Joe, who I, you know, I, I rode for, like he would, he would catch me like, Hey, you know, come here, come here. <laughs> like, like give me the, you know, and, and one of the things, like if you had a, a race that didn't go your way, coaches were immediately there to support you. If anything, you had to actually trust your own decision-making and, and make your own choices because people were really willing to try to step in and lend you a hand and give you advice. Um, and I, I think that's one of the things that I learned about trying to create a good culture in a boathouse. Like we do have four teams here. They're four fully separate teams of four head coaches, their own programs. So there's no director of rowing. I think that's a really awesome way to set up a boathouse. Um, because I think that it allows people to develop a team culture. It allows them to develop as coaches uh, in a really impressive way. And I, as a coach, learn from watching Lori, from watching more Marty, from watching Paul, how they make decisions that in the same environment that might be different mm -hmm. from mine that I wouldn't have thought about doing. I, I wrote down three things and, and it, it really just, it was key things you said. Um, Curtis Jordan gave you trust or trusted you to do your job, right? That's trust is one communication of you going back and forth from coaches and being like, hey, I have some problems or I need questions. And then support, like a constant support, right? So trust, communication, and support. If you, if you turn that pot right there and you just keep focusing on those three things, um, what you guys have pops out. And I, I, I'm interested in the no director of rowing. I've seen that position come about a little bit more now. Um, even at the junior, like at the junior club level, um, Hearing you describe it as like coaches need to develop, I, I kind of have to agree with you that it's not necessarily needed right now. Um, if you have competent head coaches that have trust, have communication and support one another, um, I really like that. All right, let's, you have this awesome season. Uh, how fast were you in college? What was like, what was your 2K? What was, uh, you know, I, I want to know, like what kind of speed did you have back then? Yeah, um, uh, you know, 2K was 622. Like I, I didn't pop 620 as a, you know, as a college athlete. Um, and uh, then I, I did just barely when I was on the national team 
uh, in a few years after college. So I was not a big powerhouse. Again, I, like when I was in college, um, I, I weighed between 138 and 142. So I was a pretty small guy. Um, you know, I was the, I could average a lot of guys into the boat. <laughs> um, and that was just sort of my natural weight. Like I just, I, it wasn't like I was working to be down there. That is so, I mean, look, the, I know this, I want to sound, I don't want to dip, diminish your skills, but like you're, that's small. You're a small guy, 130, 142 pounds. Now I'm not going to say who it is, who, who, who told me this. Um, so I talk about erg scores. I talk about training like quite literally all day long. I got guys that work for me here at finish line. Two of them are like big time coaches. They row, they love it. Someone said to me, uh, I think erg scores are being juiced a little bit. It's like, how is it possible that the men's eight from 04 was one second off of the world record, you know, just one heat later breaks the world record. And like what they did now is not that much faster, you know, than what you see today, but those guys are going 550 and 555. And now you guys got going 545. I'm wondering, like, maybe I'm setting a rumor here. Maybe the ergs are being juiced a little bit. Maybe they're notching them up. So that guys are a little <laughs> bit faster these days. I don't know. I mean, maybe concept yeah. two, I'll, maybe I'll, I'll check that one out, but all right. So you, you go to college to be a teacher and a crew coach doesn't pan out. You drive 3000 miles back to Princeton. You get this internship uh, at Princeton, but you do a run at the, at the national team. So walk me through those, like the decision to do that. How did you handle all of it? I mean, obviously everything was there at Princeton. Um, so how, how long were you doing the national team stuff for? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm so, so a lot was happening right when I first came back. So uh, that was the fall of 96. So just after the Atlanta Olympics, my senior year here. Uh, so uh, Curtis Jordan and Mike Tatey together coached the very first lightweight Olympic four, right? So that was the first year that the lightweight four was in the Olympics. They were running that camp here out of the Princeton Boathouse while they were also the head coach and the assistant coach of the, the heavyweight program. So I was rowing with them as a part of that lightweight group and rowing with the Princeton guys. Uh, and we did a couple of selection camps, um, one over the Christmas holiday down in Sarasota. We did a second one the second week after our Princeton training trip in January. We stayed down there a set, uh, for a second week and Curtis and Mike stayed and we just did the lightweight selection down there. Um, I, I didn't make the group, so I, that, I, got, I was cut after that camp um, and I just went back to rowing with Princeton full time. So move forward when I returned back uh, in the fall of 96, I was actually rowing in a double with Mike. Mike was still rowing a lot. And he and I, I was, you know, effectively his intern and, and, and Curtis's intern, like I was helping him out. And we were up in the apartment in the old boathouse, phone rings, Mike picks it up. And it was basically him being offered the national team job. You were <laughs> been, in I'd that been, room? Yeah, yeah, I've been in Princeton for whatever, you know, three, three weeks at that point. And so, you know, Mike continued on that season. He and, you know, his his brother, Paul, was in that freshman class, which was pretty cool. Let, let me stop. Uh, you. And, hold on. Let me and, I need to stop you. Just hang on. Hang on, Greg. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. You were in the room when Mike Tatey got the call for the national team. Yeah. Did yeah, that? that cool. What? What did he, how did he? How did he react? <laughs> uh, we went for a row. 
you know, it's just like, you know, and it, it, um, but yeah, yeah. So like, you know, I think what was cool about that was like, that was happening. Right. And so then very quickly, Mike was sort of like picking up some of the initial guys. So like the first, you know, rendition of the Princeton training center was, yeah, you know, Phil Henry and Kurt Borcherding, uh, me, uh, like there were, there were like five or six of us. There were not many people that were around. Mike Callahan came out, uh, the next year. Um, so like, it was a small, small group of guys and we had effectively an eight that had a couple of lightweights. Chris Kerber was in that group. Um, and, um, and it was awesome. A lot of us were living in the Aquinas Institute, which if you chat with some of those national teamers from that era, you know, father, Tom Malelli, who was running the Aquinas Institute for Princeton University, he probably gets uh, a huge amount of the credit for creating the culture of the Princeton Training Center. Like he was just, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much agnostic. And that guy took me in. And like, I understood what real faith was through that guy, just a truly amazing person. So that was the start of it, right? So I was doing uh, my intern's position role. I had a job at Bloomberg Financial uh, where I was like doing some multimedia editing. I think back on that now, like there's things I can do on my phone. <laughs> like my job was basically to do what my, my you know, my 12 year old kid can do on her phone now. Um, and uh, and, uh, and I was, I was rowing. And um, so I did that through the, that 97 year, Mike, I effectively replaced Mike. Curtis hired me to become the freshman coach in place of Mike when Mike finished that season and moved over to the national team full-time. This is, I mean, dude, I, I say this with, with genuine excitement. Like I wish that I was in that environment in those years. I Give me a story, man. Tell me something yeah. just that nobody else well, knows about from those eras. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's lots of cool stuff. I mean, you just think, I mean, you think about all the people that were around and that's what I, I actually, I recognize so much now. I mean, so you have Curtis, you have Mike, uh, Chris Clark, like one of the cool things that Mike did and I, w- I, I benefited from it hugely every summer. It was just a coach's melee like everybody got to come in if you wanted to come and 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 help out you could and he always a he did what curtis did it's like hey look i need someone to coach the cox for you are coaching the cox for and it's your boat you pick it these are some of the guys i feel like i would like to get in the mix it was about development which was what i was trying to do for curtis already and the, the second thing that Mike did was you never coached it alone. You always had a partner. So I was partnered with Chris uh, for a couple of summers. Amazing. Like Chris such Kerber. an awesome. Chris, Chris, Chris uh, Clark. Chris, Chris, Clark. Chris, Chris Clark. Clark. Chris okay. Clark. Yeah. Learn I mean, with Gavin um, from Temple. Right. Like wow. I was, I was um, with Joe who, I, I mean, it was like, okay, I, I worked with Joe, but to actually coach a boat together with Joe, um, so like I, I would, I got to have all these really cool with Dan Rook one summer, um, under 23s, lightweight eight, coxed four, coxed pair. 
I was partnered with John Parker one summer to do the Cox pair and the lightweight. So like you just think of all of the people that you start to like bang ideas off of. And I think one of the things it was like part of Mike's genius with it. I think what he thought is like, Hey, like when you do that, you don't feel like you have to, but you don't feel like overwhelmed by decision-making, right? You don't have to feel like you, you, you might screw this up. You can take some risk and you can, you can try some new ideas. This other person might inspire you. It was awesome. I was so awesome. And then you have like, you know, as it extended out, like Chris Korzenowski's coming around. Right. And, um, Chris Nilsson coming up. Right. I mean, but just like, like there were so many impressive people and that was all here in town. So, I mean, I like dinners. I mean, I can remember sitting for dinners. We would all go to the pizza star and I, you, you chat, you know, back in the days, uh, when Mike was here in town, Nino, who owns the Pizza Star over in the Princeton Shopping Center, we would have dinner there every single night. And there would be this huge table of rowing coaches, and we would just talk and talk and talk. And I was like a sponge, man. Like, I learned so much. Um, It was awesome. I feel like, so, dude, first off, jealous. Uh, (laughs) And I think a lot of people that are listening to this uh, would feel the same way. I don't think that that environment exists anymore. I don't think that we're seeing that in today's world. I don't think it was about the money for you guys either. It was the obsession. You guys had an obsession. You obviously weren't making enough money to like survive. You know, sure, you bought a couple slices of pizza every night. And I bet Mike Tatey could crush a whole pie. Um, <laughs> but like, but you have, you have these men and women obsessed with getting fast and I love this thing where you said they never felt overwhelmed by decision-making. I think that is so important and so cool. Now, that was a really special time in your life. Do you look back, is, is that your fondest memories of these last 20, 30 years of, of coaching and rowing? Uh, no, no. I mean, I, like I, uh, it's funny when I think about my, my fondest memories from coaching, it's yeah. not anything results driven. I, like, and then, you know, maybe it's just me getting older and, uh, but I like, and this is what I think, honestly, why we love rowing so much and why coaching, when we, we feel like we get it right, it matters. It's about relationships, right? Yeah. Why is rowing so cool to us? And it, you hit on it, right? Okay, like, are the earth scores being juiced? How are these boats going nearly the same speed when we don't have the same watts? Yeah. Uh, like I, I think because like really great boats are incredible partnerships, right? Yeah. And you can't get that anywhere else in life. And, and, and this is what I talk to with my athletes here a lot. It's like, okay, like, fine, go be a banker, go in finance. Like to me, these kids that now want to go into finance, that is the layup from an institution like this. Like if you want to do the easiest thing possible out of Princeton University, go into finance because they, everybody does it. If you are a risk taker, do something cool, like push it. Right. And I think one of those things is like the intangible in these experiences in your career, in your life, it's the relationships that you have with the people, right? It's what makes it exciting to come back sitting in the pizza star with all those people 
those were such cool relationships. Certainly there was information I was absorbing it, but mm-hmm. I didn't walk away saying, Oh, now I have my template for how I'm going to go coach boats. Um, yeah, that was cool for me. And look, I, look, I was, I was effectively an only child. Like I had a couple half siblings. I didn't really know, uh, growing up next nearest kid lived two and a half miles away. I did a lot of stuff by myself growing up being in an environment where I had to have a real relationship in a work environment with teammates. That's what I learned here at Princeton, like seeing, walking into a place where there's 160 kids in the boathouse. We're different. Like we're not the same and it worked, right? It was cool. Like that sort of thing. And, and so when I think about what is like my fondest memories, it's those like touch points, right? I think about the boats that like never should have been good, but were like, why, why did that happen? That was relationships, right? There was like something there that was just cool. And I love that. I, I can't answer how it happened. Um, anybody who tells me they can, I think they're full of it. (laughs) Were you ever in a boat like that? Were you ever in a boat that you just, you guys were fast? Oh yeah. Why? Which one was it? Give me, give me an example. You know, like I, I think back to, um, in my time here in college, I, I definitely experienced it for certain. I mean, those years, uh, I mean, gosh, like you just, yeah, like my senior year. That boat, so that boat was undefeated. We won all the regular season races, won the Eastern Sprints by a chunk. The IRA, we won that race and set a course record. We won it by one one hundredth of a second. We were five, six seats down coming through the thousand meter mark, right? That's a real, like, there was a level of trust in that boat. Like, we went 536. Uh, you know, like in 1996 and a lightweight eight, we just, that's just what we had to do in that race. And, you know, and I, so I think back. How often do you on, talk to those guys still? Do you start, are you still connected to all those guys? Yeah, I am. You know, and it's, it, it's funny. You know, and I think, um, so one of them, uh, this guy, Dave, the Julio, who, uh, is actually crushing it out in, in LA right now. He's a screenwriter. Um, yes. and again, like, this is an example that I give my athletes. It's like, he did what he wanted to do. Mm. Like he loved acting. Uh, he loved writing and he's like, I am going to do this. And he went into the trenches when he graduated and for 10, 15 years, he fought hard and now he's crushing it like that to me, like the confidence that he got from being in a group, like we had set them up right so yeah i mean i i do talk to those guys um one thing that's interesting is like we're all also very very different and i wouldn't say that we're like hanging out we don't have reunions every year (laughs) you know but when we see each other it's like going back in time you know i i i'm reflecting on this and i know everyone everyone in rowing has had that moment it's 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 it is rare, but I think they all have it. And the senior eight from, from mainland high school, I just spent an entire weekend with them and their kids and my kids in the Poconos. And we do this, we meet three times a year. We're best friends. We're all there. And there's seven, no, there's, there's 21 kids between all of these guys. And it's the, I, it's magical. Um, it is so cool. I'm, I'm very fortunate. And I love every one of them. And luckily enough, our wives get along, which is another rare thing. Uh, it's, that's really, really cool. Um, all right. So 
you get the head job in 2010. Now, there's only a handful of coaches in our in our community that wrote that coaches for the team they rode for, right? So it's it, there's not that many, right? There's really not that many. Um, you stuck it out a long time to get that head position. As a coach, I know you had other opportunities. I know that you had chances to go other places. Why did you stay where you are, and why have you stuck it out for so many years? Um, you know, it's funny. I mean, I love it here. I do. And, and I, I think it, for me, when I think about why I love coaching, uh, I think about the education piece a lot. Um, I think this is like an, an awesome time in your life to learn. I was super fortunate to have this opportunity and I see what it gave me. And so I think a big piece of it for me is being in a place where I feel like my athletes can have that. And it, that isn't just yeah. like, oh, lots and lots of rowing with nice equipment and really good rowers around and good water. Like, I, it's like, what's going on up on up on campus? Yeah. And one of the things that I love about this place um, is how many different things my athletes are doing when they step out the door. You know, we've got kids in, I think this year, it's, we're in 18 different majors at Princeton. Um, so they, they're not all following the same path. Yeah. Um, you get to pursue your passion. And, and I, I think that has made this experience really awesome for me to see what these kids do and how that's evolved over time. I mean, kids are doing stuff now that like the, in departments that did not exist when I was in college, right. <laughs> With the evolution of yeah. where sort of, you know, electrical engineering is going and cool stuff like that. So I, I think that's a big piece of it. Um, you know, when time flies, you know, like I, I, you just don't realize, like, I still feel, and, and maybe other coaches have said this in your thing, but I do not, I know I look old, I sound old, <laughs> I do not feel old. When you, I guess when you're around people that are always in their, you know, late teens to early 20s, you just keep thinking you're there and they're looking at me like, this guy's an idiot. Dude, that's <laughs> the secret. Not, that's the secret. He's not funny anymore. <laughs> but I love it. I love it. I love being in this environment. Um, it's just cool. And it, it's flown by. It's flown by. Like I got this thing, whatever, that's just sitting here in my desk somewhere. But this is uh, officially the university is recognizing me for 25 years because they're not counting my first year because I was unpaid. Um, but I, I got it. And I was like, this is not for me. I thought they sent it to the wrong person. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's um, so it's cool. Like, I just think that, like, how lucky can you be to like have had the opportunity to to, to be somewhere for that long. Uh, and five years, I mean, that's yeah. th that, you know, okay, look, we're all, we're being silly here, but I mean, you, f I, that would make me feel old right away. Like I see that like, <laughs> Whoa, Holy cow. Um, yeah. but you make a good point. It's, uh, time does fly. And I don't think, I don't think that we appreciate that very much. Time has flown by because you haven't focused on the success or failures. Like you've just, you, like you said, you built the relationships. You just really have fun. And when you're part of a team or an environment, time is irrelevant, right? It really is like, I'm sure that you love coming to work every day. I'm sure that you love, yeah. love. There's never really a bad day. Yeah, there, you might have bad day. Everybody has bad days, but like, you know what I'm saying? You show yeah, up yeah, to that yeah. boathouse and you're like, hell yeah, I want to get to work. Um, but let me ask you this. You've won two medals at the IRA in the men's varsity eight. I think, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's only been two in That's the 12 correct. years. It is correct. Okay. 
and you've done well this sprints, like you've, you've had successive sprints and I'm, and I'm not diminishing the two V or the three V like just, I want to put that out there. We're talking about the one V. Um, has that, you know, we, I talked about this in other podcasts, there's three teams, four coaches that have won the IRA in these last, since 2008. Um, does that bother you? Does that frustrate you? Does it, does it motivate you more? Because it, I, it, people do say it is about success is important. Yeah. Um, but how has that driven you? In yeah. Easy? Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, it's an awesome question. Cause yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I am, a, I am a really competitive person. Like I do, yeah. I do like, I do like winning. Like it is, I, I find it fun. Um, and uh, like, I want to crack the nut, you know, I want to, I, that's where I want to be. Um, I do feel, you know, and, and I look at it kind of two ways. I mean, I, the, the first thing is like, I've realized over time, cause I did have some early on some successes that I'm like, I now realize, Hey, that was lucky. Like things lined up, mm. like stop taking that for granted so much. Like a lot of things had to go right for that to work out. <laughs> and, um, you know, I remember like we have a boat here, uh, it's named the Celtic pride and, um, uh, uh, was donated by Wick Grossbeck who owns the Celtics. And when he donated it for the first time, uh, Red Auerbach was still living and he wanted Red to, to dedicate the boat. Red couldn't travel. So we had a phone call. We had a up on speaker phone. We had the lightweight eight standing around. And of course, all of us talked way too much. I talked way too much. Wick talked way too much. And then he hands it over to Red and says, Red, what do you have to say? He's like, there's only two things you have to do to honor the Celtic pride. Work hard and be lucky. And that has stuck with me. Right. I mean, it's just so powerful because the luck piece, I think sometimes we miss on. Um, it's not all luck, but, you know, when you've got 50 kids on a team, hey, you've got to make sure some things do go your way. Um, I now recognize that. And so one of the things that I think a lot about is like, how do I make sure that I put as many things in place to keep people you know, healthy and firing and in the right spot? And it's a it's a bigger challenge than I probably realized when I was first starting. Um, Red, I think one of the most successful coaches of all time. Yeah. Said it in, yeah. in, in four words, work yeah, hard. No, that's why he's so good. That's why he's a great coach, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> that's the beauty. Um, and when you have great athletes, you don't really need to say much. <laughs> speaking of great athletes, speaking of great athletes, I don't know what year it was, but uh, rowers love to just talk and they love to have rumors and they love to exaggerate. There was a year where I heard they said Princeton's varsity squad has like 20 dudes sub six minutes. And I was like, there's no way that is possible. Can you yeah, just help me with this? Is there ever a time where you had an entire eight of guys sub six minutes? Uh, we definitely have had eights entire eight sub six yeah uh well i don't think we've ever had 20 um yeah you know like coming back on your earth piece you know i i think it's actually interesting again it comes comes back to environments and what's possible yeah. I, yeah. I i think that because i've thought the same thing i'm like okay like what's the algorithm what's going on inside that machine mm. but i think it's just 
that's what pushes the envelope. It's like breaking the, the, the four minute mile. Right. I mean, like, yeah. okay, not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen. And once somebody does it, it's possible. And I yeah. think that's what you see on the erg and um, also competitive guys, right. It's like, yeah, you know what? I, I, I can do this. Like the numbers don't surprise them. I often wonder if we take the numbers away, if more people would be fast. Like they look at the number and they, they let the number, yeah, they let the number hold them back. Like, oh shit, I shouldn't be going this fast. Careful, careful, careful. You can go that fast. Like, well, the the so. environment you said was that people grind, they grind together, right? And like, you, I, was, I was looking for what you said about that. Well, this, this is a good way to like, I want to get into now my, my major topic. Um, mm -hmm. So the interview with Reichman. And, and several other coaches have said this, and I'm just going to repeat it from earlier in our conversation, is that there's, only, there's less than 10 men in the country right now at the high school level that are fast enough to be fast enough for the IRA grand final to win it, right? So to put it into perspective, it's sub 615 on the 2K by your senior year um, in high school. And then coaches believe they can get them 20, 25 seconds faster. You got to be sub six minutes to be good enough to win the IRA but there's only 10 of them in America at any given time. How do we grow that number, Greg? How do we get a larger pool of high quality rowers to then get recruited to college to win without having to draw from internationals? Yeah, uh, we got a diverse fire sport. I mean, that is just straight up. Um, I mean, just when we look around, it's, it's, too, uh, it's too cloistered right uh it's like we're think about how many kids out there are playing basketball and football millions and um when you go to a race you know socioeconomically by and large for rowing where is it normally landing that's a problem that's a that is the big problem in my mind um and like we so we've started thinking about this here a lot. So one of the questions is, like, okay, so like, what about diversity in rowing? And how can you recruit these kids better? And I took a look at it and said, well, the problem is right now, there's not enough people out there from diverse backgrounds to recruit. That's on us. And, and, and you could, we, we could point fingers on youth rowing, uh in the country and say well okay hey youth rowing coaches get to work on this and solve it i disagree like we yes. as college coaches can actually drive it and so like how do we do it like setting an example trying to push the envelope and like and, and maybe putting some of our dollars there right because we we do actually have some and, you know like so that's what's driven us in the stem to stern program here right so i took a look at it and said you know I'm sitting here saying this needs to happen, but seven miles from me, we have Trenton. And what have we ever done there? And it was, it was pretty, it was pretty harsh when I looked at it. I was like, I've done nothing. So I've lived here for 30 years of my life. And I, I, I have no connection to the community in Trenton. And so we've worked really hard in the last three years to change that. Um, and what's amazing is, so we have, I mean, I was coaching some of the kids yesterday. Uh, they're middle school kids. 
And we figured that's the great place to start because, hey, if we can get them excited, maybe a couple will want to go to Mercer and row there, right? And, or, and, or, you know, right now, two or three of them are applying to the local schools here, like Petty and Lawrenceville and Hun School that have rowing and an awesome educational opportunity. It's like what I somehow was able to get, right? But I took a look at it and said, okay, like, hey, look, I'm a, I'm a white guy. So it's pretty easy for me to slip by uh, and just show up here and kind of try to figure out and read it and fake it until I can, you know, fit in. I think diversity, though, I think that, sorry to interrupt. I think diversity is not just the skin color. I'm tired of that being in the conversation. Diversity is it's economics. It's everything. Socioeconomic. It's, yes. It's huge. Yes. It's and, and that's just and that's, about the skin color. I I agree. I, it's like it's everything that's out there, right? How do you broaden the spectrum of rowing? Um, and so, like, more people makes it better, right? It does. It does make it better. Yeah. Uh, and there's so many talented athletes out there that we haven't even introduced to the sport. Now it's their choice, whether they're going to like it or not. And it's up to the coaches to inspire them and motivate them to want to do it instead of doing something else. But I am so sick and tired of hearing this thing from people where like, you know, and I'll get them all the time. I get these letters, like, you know, we should, we should cut your funding. Your university should cut your funding because you're going and finding kids that are not American. You're ruining us rowing. It's your fault that the Olympic team isn't any good. Wow. I'm like, really? Like, my job is to find the best student athletes for Princeton University. I did not sign a contract with U.S. Rowing, right? That is not my job. No, I care a lot about it. I rode for for the U.S. And I want our country to be fast. But, like, that's a that's a job that we all have to work at. Right? How do you how do you you brought something up, man? That I have not I've never heard this, and I've been thinking about it so much. Is how do we get college coaches actually involved? Because I think there is a huge gap in communication and structure from the I don't know four hundred coaches that coach rowing at the collegiate level and the. 5,000 that coach junior rowing, right? All the way from the parent that helps out once in a while to the full-time coach. How do we get college coaches involved in growing junior rowing? What do you think, what do you suggest? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I think uh, conversations are huge, right? I think just getting to know somebody and um, understanding their environment helps a lot. So like, you know, for college coaches to just, I mean, it, it helps me to actually understand what it's like to try to coach high school kids in my area. <laughs> That's That's, that, that helps a lot, right? It's like, okay, like, yeah, this is, these are some of the challenges. Can I help with any of these challenges, right? Um, I think it's also a little bit hard um, because, you know, look, it, and I'm sure you deal with it where you're at, but like, how much additional coaching do I do? I most certainly have, more work, but I haven't added any coaching. Mm. Right. And I think that's that like that you think about what I think about what youth coaches have to deal with um, from the HR side, from the risk management side, uh, you know, parents, like all of these things. And it's like, 
that's pulling away from your ability to focus on your coaching and to coach. And um, so that's a problem because how do you have the time to have a conversation with somebody else, <laughs> right? Um, just even having this conversation, like, hey, fine, don't record it. But can more people have more of these conversations? So I think one of the things that you know, we've tried to do it on the college side is to create, uh, you know, we, we, we founded the IRCA a couple of years ago. It's long overdue. The women have had the CRCA, the Intercollegiate Rowing Coaches Association. Yep. One of the main themes of it is to get coaches talking more. And I actually think that this is a problem in collegiate rowing. Um, you know, I, it, have you read John Thompson's book? Um, it, 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 uh, I came no. as a shadow. It's, it's an awesome read. You should, I, I encourage everyone to give it a read. One of the things that blew my mind was uh, how much the collegiate basketball coaches actually communicated with each other. Um, yeah, they were fiercely competitive and they were trying to rip each other's heads off for 40 minutes <laughs> you know, when they had the chance, but they actually would kind of conspire a little bit too to like, okay, like, Hey, how do we drive this thing? And I think that like rowing, because we compete so little and historically these teams have been kind of spread apart. There's this whole thing about like, yeah, we go into our deep, dark corner and then we just show up and we line up and we, and we, you know, we've got all these secrets and we're going to like do it. It, it, It's, it's phony. We should stop doing it. Like the only way we are going to get better is if we're all driving it. Right. It isn't like, Oh, now I have the secrets and I'm, that's going to make me better because I, I hid it from everybody. We got to stop that. And I think that it's a problem in the culture of rowing. Um, And I think we can, that's when it comes back to your point I'm long-winded, sorry, but the youth coaches are not benefiting from what, from our knowledge because of that. Right. And I'll hear some people say like, Oh yeah, well, those coaches drive me crazy. You know, like we got to stop that. We got to stop that. And, And I think the same thing at the youth youth level, ask like my launch is available for anyone who want, like wants to come and have a ride. And I, whenever I speak in a conference, I always say that. What I'm amazed about is that people will pick me come. up on it. No, do they, some, do do. some do. Some do. And yeah. it is awesome. It is awesome when they do. And oftentimes I'll ask a question like, hmm, that's a good question. I don't know why. You know, like, so like, I, I think we need to push the envelope there. And I think this whole thing about rowing um, it comes back to something that Chris Clark says to me a lot. And that what I love about Chris is like, okay, like he's at a place where, you know, I think about, I think about Wisco, especially it's like rowing, like there's basketball and there's football, right. And they drive a lot of what happens there. And what Chris always talks about is let's stop trying to be different. Rowing isn't different. Like rowing is a sport. We are athletes. Let's mainstream our sport. And I, and I think that's actually important. We need to do that. We need to stop talking about, oh, we wake up so early. It's so hard. That's BS. It's like those football players are working really hard, right? Um, I actually just a couple of weeks ago got to hang out with a recently retired 
professional football player. One of the most incredible athletes I've ever been around. I'm like, holy crap. I, I now understand he's on another level than anybody I've hung out with. <laughs> so like, we got to push it. We aren't special. You, you in, in, in so many ways just described my entire mission statement and business model. <laughs> so I just want to point that out to the crowd. You said some things, man, that I'm like laughing because you're probably one of the only ones that have said what I've been thinking out loud and trying to do. And like, it feels so good to have someone like, agree with me on some of this stuff. I believe wholeheartedly that you have this wealth of knowledge and experience at the collegiate level and the high school junior coaches, which make up majority of our revenue, majority of our economy in rowing are held back from that information. And then here's an example. Yesterday, I had a crew coach come by uh, to look at some boats to, they're going to buy some boats. And one of the guys that works for me here is technically his, his peer. They race each other. They're in the same division. They're the right. And it wasn't even like, it was like, hi, Hey, really awkward, kind of funny. And it's like, is this a joke? You guys like you guys should be you guys should be working together to make this a better environment for all your kids. It's not about you winning or losing for goodness sakes. Like, as you said, they conspire together. Absolutely. There's a reason that the basketball NCAA and and women's NCAA are like a billion dollar industry. It's because they work together to make it happen, right? Now I'm never gonna, we're never gonna see rowing to be that big, but for it to be mainstream, we can do that. Well, and we can make it marketable. Like I, I believe that. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and, and that's the thing. It's like, we, we I, I just think about, it is actually really cool sport. It really is. And, and that's, I see it when I bring someone out in my motorboat and they watch it. My own parents thought what I was doing was just, they didn't get it. Took my dad a decade. And then he <laughs> rode in a motorboat with Mike Tatey and watched me do six by one K with seat racing. And we came in, he's like, I get it. Yeah. That is awesome. That is awesome. Right? Like we need to, we need to market that. And I like, let's stop making it all this mystique. And, you know, it, it, it drives me crazy. It's, it's a sport. Let's be a sport. It's not the mystique. You know, Greg, you've been doing this a long time, man. Um, you've already answered this, but I just want to hear it on camera. What keeps you motivated? What keeps you coming back and keep doing it? Like, what, what, what's the drive? Yeah, well, I mean, it's the people, man. I, it's it's it. cool. It is. It's the people. Like, I love it. And um i get to work with awesome people i mean you know you're looking chatting with matt but i mean like somebody who uh is willing to disagree with me um and push me and uh has awesome ideas like i don't he's a he's an awesome co-worker right and i just think getting that opportunity I, I don't know how many work environments you can be in where you do honestly get that i think right now it's like you know everybody's just trying not to offend anybody right and i get to work in an environment where i come into my office and we can we can disagree and we can actually try to figure stuff out um and i i just i love that i love it uh 
You know, like I, 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 I told myself that you and I could probably talk for three or four hours because it is, it's possible, right? We all, we all can, right? I mean, most of us, and you're, yeah. and you're, you're, a, you're, a, you're a very good conversationalist. Um, so you've been there for 25 years. Um, you're what, late 40s? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 49. You had, um, so 50s coming, knocking, 50s knocking, dude. That's, uh, it is, yeah. Is it this year? Is it is it this year? Your uh, yes, this calendar year in November. Yep. All right. I'll make sure that I wish you a happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> turning fifty. Um, you see yourself doing this another twenty five years at Princeton. You see, you just no reason to leave. You know, that's a great question. I I honestly, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, like um, it's I. I uh, I don't know if I will see myself in a motorboat in my seventies or eighties, you know, I don't know. Um, it's not my goal. I mean, I'm curious to ask some of those guys that are doing it, you know, I'm like, Hey, what did Steve say? Like, did he see himself, you know, like, cause that's just awesome. I mean, you know, he's crushed it and on so many, in so many different ways. One, like he just stayed in one place the whole time. Like what's so cool about it is he, he kind of moved it around, you know? So like, I don't know. Ask forty-nine-year-old Steve that question. <laughs> I wish I, I could. I, like I, you know, like it's a good one. I, but I don't know. I like I love what I do, but I kind of take it, you know, year by year, and um, I want to make sure I'm doing a good job. I think that's sure. really important, and you know, and I want I want this place to be, you know, excited and confident with my work. You know, and I'm I, I'm willing to hear otherwise if they feel like that's not what they want. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So yeah. And see, let me, I want to ask you a, a, a quite man to man. So you have, yeah. you have, you have kids. How many kids do you have? I have two girls, two girls, uh, wife, you got the whole, the whole bit. Mm-hmm. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 37 years old. And for the first time in my career, I, I feel like I'm in mud a little bit. I feel like I need to go do something else. I feel like I need to explore something else. I need to maybe reinvent myself. My father um, works for works for me now. Um, he's like part time. He had three career changes in his life, and it was always between ten and like twelve years. Uh, I got a nine, a seven, and a two year old. Got a wife at home. Good on you. And I feel like I'm wondering, like, have you ever felt that way in your twenty five years of coaching? Do you ever feel like you, I got to reinvent myself? I got to go do something. Yeah, you know, um, please say yes. Sort of. I mean, what's what's fascinating is like I have actually shifted gears to what I do beyond my work, right? So, like for me, what it's been about, like, I mean, like like the the way the calendar works for a college coach, like I actually have some flexibility for some decent chunks during the year, right? Sure. Um, And I actually just spend a lot of time like completely disconnected and I do that. I like, what's cool is being able to do that with my girls. Um, and my wife, um, my wife has an awesome, and she's crushing it. I mean, you know, she's, she's the actual one with the career, uh, to, you know, to just to be clear, like she's (laughs) like, she's a doc and she's crushing it. She's a doctor. She's a doctor. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. She's, 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 she's the badass in the family. Like, are you batting above your weight class? I mean, my God. absolutely I am like I always have my whole life but um yeah so you know but I think that also like that I value that 
in life. And so it's like, okay, like, hey, what is your career? Is that your identity? Or is it more like, hey, you as a father, your kids? Okay, if you have a two-year-old, I mean, God bless you, because yeah. I remember that. And that's like, you're just like, okay, like, you know, in I was living in five-minute increments. I remember that, you know? Now my girls are, are my oldest turns 15 this month. Wow. Younger girls is 12. And seeing it now, what they're doing athletically is cool and, and growing and just like we have conversations now. And I, I want to make sure that I don't miss that, right? Mm -hmm. And so I don't want to make a career choice that limits this very finite opportunity I have to know my kids. Um, and like we get one shot at this life. And I don't want it all to be, you know, just about me and my job. <laughs> how, how, okay. So, so how would, how would 30 year old Greg Hughes answer that question? Like you obviously. Totally differently. Exactly. Totally differently. So I had no, I had no, no, nothing. uh, yeah. Well, you were just, I'm going all in on the career. I, I have. So, cause yeah, you say yeah. you, you disconnect from rowing, right? So you say you disconnect mm -hmm. from it and. I am so anxious to take even a day off. I, this is all I do. I mean, I, I'm obsessed. Like I, I'm building a business and it is my identity. And I feel like I'm having an identity crisis right now. Like I've just, what am I going to do? And what's your advice for me, please? Because there, there are other coaches out yeah. there. I mean, that and, and I, I, do. I mean, I, and I learned this from Curtis. I mean, I'll, I'll you know, I don't want to take, uh, you know, credit for it. Curtis was the one. And he actually pushed me. And I remember one time he just walked in and he handed me a gift certificate to like some, you know, awesome hotel somewhere. I was like, you're taking Heather and you're getting the hell out of here. Mm. Like, he's like, if you want to, if you want to have longevity in rowing, like you need to know when to step back and take a break. Um, because there will always be something here to do. Like there's always goose crap to clean off the dock. There's always boats to it's just endless right and you think about like i mean it's like but here's what i what actually last summer at one quick example last summer we did we went uh went out to oregon which is where my wife grew up and we did uh, a five-day trip on the rogue river uh down sort of like southern oregon amazing amazing trip and we did it with our two girls and um and her parents is and that the, the river that has the giant walls? It's like, um, it, it, yeah, cool gorge goes through yeah, this awesome, yes, yes. awesome gorge. Beautiful. Such an awesome thing. Um, but one of the, one of the things is like, okay, like, you know, this, these stupid things, you can't really see it, but like, <laughs> right. Like, like I can always work no matter where I go. This is yeah. the first time in a long time where I could not, I was completely off grid for five days. And when I came back to earth, got to the first spot where my phone got service about 480 messages dumped in only three of them mattered only three oh my God. but and that but that's the and i think that's the problem like like that's why you can do it and it doesn't mean that you don't think about work right it doesn't mean that you yeah. might actually have some of your best thinking about your clearest thinking about what you want to do right and you've got to you got to you got to hit a little reset Right. And so like, I, for me, that's been a big part of it to be able to do that. And, and, and again, it's like, I'm asking, you know, like, uh, 
if I'm going to push myself at work, right, which is what I ask my athletes also to do, if I'm asking them to take risks, then I need to be in a position to do that. If we need to give our athletes rest, right, then we need to do that. <laughs> so, like, I, I think those things are important. Um, and there's a lot more out there than rowing. Like, I love rowing because, like, it truly is, like, something that I connect with. But, like, rowing isn't the world right? It isn't like you, you can't, you got to be able to, and, and same thing for your kids. I mean, I don't know if your kids are old enough to try rowing yet. I mean, mine yeah. are. My oldest goes to a school that has rowing, hasn't taken a stroke. Mm. I think that's great. <laughs> like, I think it's great. Yes. You know, so like, I, I think, and, and just to see her, like, she's an awesome track athlete and she plays awesome. soccer and to go and see this and like, holy crap, here's this whole other world. And so I think it's important for you to be able to have that and to experience it. Um, yeah, like, in, in, and when you come back to work, you're going to be pumped to be there, right? So I, I, I would encourage you to find that and do it with your family. <laughs> like, like, get out. Every, every vacation we've had, aside from maybe one, has been rowing related because we go to a regatta, we do an event, we do something. Uh, you know, we got lucky last year, we went to France, but I went there because I was racing Masters Worlds, right? So, and then, yeah, so you get it. But dude, Greg, Greg, I, this was, I had a blast, dude. I really hope you enjoyed this conversation. Today. That was awesome. I love it. I love it. Hopefully, I mean, hopefully there's, hopefully there's 10 minutes of content here. You can splice into a, <laughs> into a show. <laughs> I can waste I like time. That. I can waste your time. You, you want to waste time? Call me up. <laughs> well, I hope that you waste my time at one of your, uh, Princeton races this year. I am coming to a bunch of races. Uh, I will definitely be at the IRA. Um, and I, I, I can't wait to cheer on the Tigers. I, I've, Thanks, I've man. spent all these last, I mean, I've done a lot of interviews already with the IRA coaches and I'm like super bought in to college rowing. And I, I learned something. We said, how do we normalize our sport? Well, we make it so that we have an audience for collegiate rowing, which is the best in the world. And if we can really showcase that men and women, then the juniors are going to fall in and be like, absolutely. Well, this was episode 11, season four. With, with head coach of Princeton, Greg Hughes. Greg, thanks for being here. This is great. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it.